Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Books Are Chic. I am so excited to welcome this author to Books Are Chic because her books are very chic. I feel like her historical fiction novels are the epitome of chic, and her latest is just that. The cover alone, I would love to just frame it. Um, It is Picasso's Lovers, and I learned so much reading this book. I am so thrilled to welcome Jean Mackin. Welcome, Jean. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I am it is a hot cover, isn't it? The cover? Is that like an actual picture? You know how sometimes with historical fiction, it's like an old photo that they like sort of make, you know, they'll make it their own for the book. But was this an, is this actually a picture? Or is it, it, they designed it especially as a cover. It's not an old photo. Uh, it's new. It's incredible. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Yes. I would buy this just for the cover, but then we did, we got this lovely book too. So it was like a win-win, but yes, the cover is amazing, but I feel like all your covers are amazing. I mean, the last collection was amazing too. Yeah. The design team at Berkeley, my publisher is absolutely fabulous. I have been so wowed by the covers they've done. They are gorgeous. Yeah, so gorgeous. And they fit your tails so well. Um, Okay, Jean, you're new to Books Are Chic. So give us just like your journey, your history, how you got here, how you came about writing. Like, what is Jean's background? Well, I grew up in a really small town where there wasn't a whole lot to do, which was wonderful for me. I was a daydreamer and a reader as soon as I could hold a book. And as soon as I started reading as a kid, I knew I wanted to do this too. My family was, you know, big on telling stories. My mother was from a very large family and I would stay up late at night eavesdropping on all of these great old family stories. And I just really fell in love with the narrative at a very young age. And history is just like one story after another. Uh, Historical fiction was the type of fiction I always wanted to write. And um, I'm so glad that it worked out for me. I This is, I, I think, my eighth book. I'm not certain. I stopped counting. I'm a little superstitious. Yeah, no, I love that. Did you, historical fiction, I feel like it's, did you love history growing up? Like, do you find certain stories and you just become so, you know, interested in them? Like, what is, why historical fiction, do you think? Uh, the stories just just are riveting. These little things will kind of just jump out at you. And I have this impulse of, oh, I have to tell people about this. This is fabulous. I mean, these little facts that just stick in your head, like uh, when Marie Antoinette was like fashion queen in Paris, one of the most popular fashion colors was called flea shit. <laughs> I love that. You know, so these things just jump out. And uh, when I was researching the book on Elsa Scapirelli and Coco Chanel, the one before this, uh, I discovered that they were both at the same ball and Coco set Elsa Scapirelli on fire. And I thought, that has to be in a novel. That just has to be there. So these, you know, I like people to be alive to the wonder of the world. That includes the wonder that's in history, because there are so many incredible things that, you know, I just think it, it just is mind blowing. Some of you're, the things. Yeah. Yeah. You are so you're so right. And I feel like with a lot of historical fiction authors I've chatted with, how do you 
even begin? Because yes, you think of a story that needs to be told, but I'm sure, and I really, I'm going to ask you after, I know we're not talking about the last collection, but I have a love for vintage fashion. So the last collection holds a special heart place in my heart. But even with Picasso, like how do you not go down months? You could be years of researching wormholes, Google, you know, Google black holes. Like I'm, there's so much at your fingertips now. It's not like, you know, 30 years ago when you had the library and whatever they had to offer, you can get so much. How do you kind of rein it in and like begin? <laughs> I do go down the wormhole. I, I, I'm kind of known for research. I will easily spend two years researching a book and I keep researching as I'm writing because I love the research. I love finding out more and more and more information, kind of an information junkie. But as a writer, at some point, you do kind of put your hands up and say, wait a minute, you're supposed to be writing a book here. Get offline, get out of the library and write your story. So it's it's kind of, you know, allowing yourself to fall into the wormholes, the love of research, but also the discipline of saying, no, I have to do my 1200 words today. Now we stop and write. So it, it's, it's, it's like everything in life, a little bit of discipline, a lot of pleasure, a little bit of discipline. Oh, I love that. But, and how do you like take all this research and keep it? How do you, do you have a way that you keep it organized? How do you know when you want to weave it into your, you know, work of fiction and, you know, what is sort of like your selection process? Because like you said, you could get all kinds of research, but it's really once your, your story starts to form, it's how do you weave that, the actual facts or things that you've learned into it? The moments that stick out for me, um, I trust that those are the moments that will also catch a reader's attention. For instance, in, in the Picasso book, um, there's a, a woman character, a real life character, Irene Langhu, who, uh, when she and Picasso were both young, he proposed to her and she turned him down. And so she fascinated me because, of course, Picasso has this reputation for me for being the predator that destroyed other women. Well, few women broke his heart as well. So I knew because that was against what we think of as Picasso. I wanted to start with Irene and get that information right in there that this man was not all that powerful. He was not always in control. We have Irene to prove that. And I, that was one of the moments for me. And moments later in the book in the studio with his second wife, Jacqueline, mm -hmm. who was also a very strong woman, very much in control. I knew that she had to be there too. And the book very much became about women who defy our stereotype of Picasso as being in control. And that kind of guided where I needed the story to go. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, I can only imagine like, well, I can't even imagine how your brain works with, it's one thing to have a story that you're making up and it's just a work of, you know, there's nothing, there's no real bits in it. That's just actual fiction. But then when you are, have this whole other, you know, platter of things that you can incorporate into your own story, I don't even know how you can like keep it all organized. Yeah, um, for me, it's a very organic process. I mm -hmm. kind of know where I want to begin and where I want to end, but the rest of it gets filled in as I'm working. I don't work from outline. 
So, of course, there's wow. a lot of revision involved in my work, a lot. I mean, the first draft is the fun part, just telling the story. But then in the second draft, you have to look at it and say, okay, what got left out that needs to be here and what's here that really should not be here. So mm -hmm. that's kind of, for me, just the revision process. And that's the work part. That that's is the, the work, work part. Now for Picasso's lovers, what, where did you even begin with your research? Like what was, what were the things that were at your fingertips? Like what, Give us the, the scoop. Oh, okay. Well, you know, being a, you know, born in the 20th century, how can you look at art and not know who Pablo Picasso is? But uh, because I'm a writer, I've always been fascinated by art because it's so foreign to me, seeing the world as this visual thing instead of a, a verbal thing. And coincidentally, I married an artist who taught me a lot about how to look at the world, to not just hear the world. And um, we had a lot of books on Pablo Picasso's arts and I just started thumbing through them. And I thought, you know, he's a fascinating guy. I have a lot of information. I've already spent a lot of time looking at his work. And I would, there were things about Pablo Picasso I would like people to know. Uh, my my fiction really is kind of about, okay, you think you know this, but this is the real story. Mm -hmm. I like to do that. I kind of like to, to go against the grain, defy the myth, get more information out there. Not necessarily, you know, correcting information, just more information so that people have a fuller picture. But Picasso, at first I was afraid what I was getting myself into because I, I really came to believe he was the greatest artist of the 20th century. And the, the variety of the work he produced, the quantity of the work he produced, how, how do you account for a, a career like that? He was amazing. I mean, for instance, I got to the end of the first draft and realized I never even mentioned Guernica, which is you know his most famous work. So I had to rework that and not only mention it, but it's, an important part of the plot line as it turned out so that was part of the revision too but yeah I mean it was a challenge and I love a challenge and I wanted to write about Pablo because I really dig him <laughs> yeah I mean and it's not even it is about him as an artist and you know his art but also you made it this sort of you know intriguing story with the women that were um involved in his life and and how he was around them. And like you said, what we thought we knew and what really, you know, what really happened. Um, so you used, you utilized a lot of your, the books that you had. My question for the collection, what did you do for that research? That's me just asking um, as a, as a fan. Okay. Well, I, I have to confess, I have traveled a lot in France. I know France pretty well. I love France. Um, and for the last collection, you know, there was that travel history to fall back on um, and the Fashion Institute at the Metropolitan Museum in New York, you yeah. know, so and there's a smaller one in here where I live. So I, you know, it was book research, travel research, biographies, autobiographies, but also looking at the actual dresses and, and the fabrics and everything was so much fun. Uh. Just so much. Fun. That feels like a dream. Are those like in archives or if you go, I've never been to the 
the fashion institute and I know they have like a museum and you can look at things but did you have to like make I know you can make special appointments and see things you know that not everybody can see um I didn't have to because actually there was a great show up there were a couple of shows up about Elsa Scapirelli and Coco Chanel and one on um fashion and surrealism, which involves Elsa Scafarelli's work. So the the work was up um, and I just had to, you know, get into the city and look at it. And and there's there's so many wonderful biographies uh, full of illustrations of, of the work as well. And yeah. And actually wow. I have a friend who um, found a vintage Elsa Scafarelli scarf for me. I should have worn it. I have an Elsa <gasps> Scafarelli scarf. Yeah. Uh. Oh, Jean, what a dream. That sounds, I mean, you just sound like you're having a ball. This sounds great. Um, okay, why don't we give everybody a overview of what um, Picasso's Lovers is about without giving any spoilers or anything? Okay, try to do without spoilers. Um, there are two timelines. The first one is 1923, when Picasso is in the south of France with you know, his his first wife, Olga, and his friends, Sarah and Gerald Murphy, who were, again, real historical characters, American expats. And today we would call them influencers. They were the people that everyone gathered around and liked to imitate and just liked because they were really, really good people. Um, and Gerald was an artist as well. So Pablo Picasso and his wife and young child go to the south of France to spend time with Sarah and, and Gerald. Um, and I won't say what happens at this point. The second timeline is set in 1953 with a young woman, Alana. Well, she's, you know, in her late 20s, which wasn't young then, but to us it is. Um, and she's trying to get a job as an art journalist. Uh, the glass ceiling is almost on the floor. It's so low. I mean, trying to get even an interview with an editor is just really difficult for her. And the editor that she wants to work for says, okay, look, if you can get an interview with Pablo Picasso and get some new information on him, we'll talk. So this poor woman who has no money, whose mother has just died, who has no contacts whatsoever in France with Pablo Picasso, has to figure out how she's going to overcome all this. And, you know, no more spoiler alerts. So yeah. she ends up in France. Yeah, yeah. So, and right, you have, it's a dual, it's two timelines and Alana's timeline has this little bit more of a contemporary spin to it, where she, that it almost has a little bit of a mystery to it because she's trying to secure this job, but there's also something else that she's sort of trying to figure out from interviewing um, Picasso. How, and you sort of mentioned this before, but a little bit more on just how this sort of came about and why you had wanted to do the, you know, the other timeline of Alana and how the story sort of came together for you. I, I've i never really written a novel that is very much about mothers and daughters. Mm -hmm. And I decided I want to do that because I don't want to have the novel be exclusively about Pablo Picasso's sex life. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, that interest in that would last maybe 30, 40 pages, right? Yeah. So I, I wanted another form of tension in there. And I wanted to write, you know, as I said, mother and daughter, because 
I was thinking there are, you know, I started out by telling you how I would eavesdrop on my mother and her siblings telling all of these stories. And I, I've always thought, what are the stories that I don't know? What was my mother like before I was born? You know, what was her life before me? And I got very intrigued by this idea of a daughter trying to track down her own mother and what she needed to find out about her. And you then know, the whole family. Right. The whole family like history and, and the, the story behind her mom and all of these things, which is sort of the mystery. But I loved that you, that's how you wove it into Picasso. And what like did you find while you were researching that? I mean, he was like a ladies man and kind of, you know, like a jerk. Yeah. sometimes, but I can see how, I mean, this is like, you know, you're saying they were, you know, Sarah, they were like influencers, but you can see that we still have famous people today that may, might not necessarily have the best rap about them, but women, you know, men, whoever can fall into this orbit. And I'm sure his life, you know, was glamorous. It was free spirited. It was artistic. And so that's, you know, I could see like today how that those things could still happen. And it was happening way back then with him. Yeah, Pablo really started to fascinate me. And the more I learned about him, the more respect I had for him. He he was a womanizer. Yeah. Um, and but. Most of the men of his generation in Paris were and the women were not locked up in a convent either. I mean, it was after World War One. A lot of people had come very, very close to death and deprivation and starvation, and they were ready to party. And yeah. they deserved to party. But Pablo is a father. I don't think it was completely remiss. And I have to admit that the different affairs I read about Pablo, his woman adored him. Um, I mean, Irene refused to marry him because she was an artist, too. Who, an artist should not marry another artist. I really believe that. Mm -hmm. But they were friends all their lives. It's not as if she huffed out and slammed the door. So his friends and his lovers, too, had great affection for him. And I, I kind of had to take that into, you know, think about that. Because if you were a total jerk, that would not have happened. It really right. wouldn't have. Right. That's a good point. And the um, you were saying mothers and daughters, that is a, a huge part of the book, aside from sort of Picasso and his story and these women around him who are all so fascinating, the characters. But, you know, you also throughout the book, Alana has her own story and her own sort of romance that's happening. And, you know, as much as she's on this hunt, you know, for Picasso and, and learning more things about her life and his life, she also is flawed just like he is. And I loved that sort of parallel of her and him because while she's, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, finding things out, discovering things, she's also making mistakes and doing things in her life, you know, things she needs to do, but also, you know, she had some flaws to her too. Oh, absolutely. The heart wants what the heart wants. And yeah. sometimes the hardest part of life is figuring out what does the heart actually want and 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 kind of just being able to go with it. It's important, too, that because it's 1953 and Alana is in her late 20s, 
she's got some decisions to make because at that time of history, having children after 30 was still considered quite dangerous. It was a different time medically and biologically. So she's kind of got her own tightrope act going on there. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, has to make decisions and making, you know, she could have made one decision versus another decision, but she, you know, went with her heart and her gut and, you know, you think, Maybe, yeah, I don't know, maybe that was a little bit of Picasso too and his endeavors. <laughs> Just, you know, yeah. your heart, you know, especially as an artist, I think your, you know, your heart guides a lot of your life, your creativity, you know, what you feel. And so I kept thinking about that as I was reading, even though I was like, wow, he really truly was like a womanizer. Oh, but, absolutely. But like you Love. said, women just were, fall, I mean, it would, e- I'm sure it was easy to fall right into that orbit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he was probably that lifestyle of an artist, I'm sure is, you know, parties and whining and dining and, um, but yeah. also, you know, aside from these women and their stories, you, and I think this is a, a big theme in a lot of your books is you just showcase strong women these characters whether real or not are really just strong women why write about a weak woman yeah I I don't I don't see the story in that um you know because I I proudly proclaim I am a feminist and a lot of the the old stereotypes of women even the 50s were just wrong I mean the woman in the 50s who were again trying to get into the the job market had been Rosie the Riveter and everything else during the war. And then, you know, all the GIs come home and all of a sudden they're supposed to put the apron back on. Right. No, 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 no. Yeah. No. uh, Yeah. No. Women face hard choices, sometimes harder than men face, but I wouldn't say that equivocally. We, we, you know, I had a professor once who just looked up so sadly in class and said, we all burn in our own private hell. And I don't know what he was talking about. I think he didn't like teaching. But I always kind of keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah. Who was your, like, who was your most favorite character to write in the story? In, in the Picasso book? Yeah. Oh. Well, Alan is the protagonist. So, of course, she's, she's, she's kind of my emphasis because she's the one who still has time to make changes, to make, to make decisions, everything else in the, in the past. So it really is kind of her story. But I love Irene Lagoon. She is mm-hmm. a hoot. I love her. I loved her too. She was a hoot. But I did, I did love Alana too, because like I said, I think she was – you know, a lot, like you said, especially in her late 20s during that time, but a lot of women who are trying to figure out, like, what am I doing? Is career first? Is, you know, love first? And and that, you know, struggle and feeling like you've got to do it all, you know, and now I think Absolutely. it's even worse, but then, you know. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Women work two or three shifts quite often. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It, yeah. yeah. And who do you think out of all the books you read, who has been the most fascinating and fun to write about? Elsa Scapirelli. Yeah. Because she was, she, she was amazing. I mean, she did some of the craziest, craziest, Crazy. craziest things. 
You know, she she grew up in an upper middle class Roman family, so it was money. So she was a bit pri privileged. She didn't have the same kind of fears and challenges that Coco Chanel had, for instance. But Elsa, you know, when she was a kid, <laughs> she took all of her mother's very expensive clothes and threw them out the window for the, for the you know, the street people to enjoy. She was I think the most free-spirited woman I've ever written about was Elsa Scoppirelli because she did not, like I said, she she wasn't bound by a fear of financial disaster or poverty or losing her family. She had a certain cushion and security that allowed her to be really, really free. And she yeah. was. Yeah, she was a free spirit. And it's so fun to see, like, over the years, different celebrities um, and personalities wear, you know, her vintage clothes because they have such a distinct look to them. Like they don't, her designs were not, you know, I think all old, you know, vintage designers have their own sort of look, but hers was very specific, I feel. You know, what What amazed me was uh, for Joe Biden's inauguration, mm -hmm. Madonna wore Elsa Stoppirelli. And I think it was Jennifer Cruz or Lopez wore Coco Chanel. Oh, interesting. So those designers were standing stage, you know, on stage next to each other in these newer women's outfits. I thought that was absolutely fabulous. I don't think they knew that, that Elsa and Coco had been arch rivals, but it, that yeah. was so great to see. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm now going to have to go back and look at those outfits. Um I mean, your books, the, the the thought that you're putting into them, the research, the detail, it really, truly shows. Like you saying that, you know, you you just, it really shows. And this book was, you know, I felt like I was just living in this time period with them and I could sort of see what was going on. And um, like I said, the cover just gave a great visual, even though it's not real. I feel like that actually could have been them in the book. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You know, are you, how, what is your process after a book comes out? Do you, are you already in something else? Do you, is it every couple of years a book comes out for you? Well, it, it's, um, it takes anywhere from two to four years for me. And this, this book was a long time coming because of COVID lockdown. Yeah. Uh, there was, there was a big loss in my family. I had to recover from, mm. from grief and mourning so this one was a while coming but usually it's every two or three years and I'll usually spend a year just beginning the research and then actually start you know setting a daily quota for writing and yeah I, I hope I know what the next one is and I do have the first page although I haven't finished the research yet so yeah okay and do I you know soon go ahead I was going to say, do you know who it is or you can't tell because you're superstitious? I'm superstitious and okay. I don't talk detail until I have the first draft. Okay. I'm excited either way. I feel, <laughs> Is there anybody, like, do you have a, a, and you don't have to say in this answer who the, the, per, the next figure will be, but do you have like a list of people that you would just love to dive into their lives? I kind of do, but I know I won't do it because- I work very spontaneously, and if I've spent too much time thinking about something and haven't written it, I think it's okay. It's one of those stories that I love, but it's not going to be a book for me. Um, but theme, 
themes will simmer for years. Like one of my very early novels was about the courts of love in, in Southern France in medieval times. And I realized I'd been thinking about that for years mm -hmm. without even knowing, you know, how did, how did philosophically we make the tradition, the uh, transition from Eve, the mother of sin to Mary, the mother of salvation, you know, and that mm -hmm. was about the courts of love. So sometimes ideas will simmer for a very long time, but when in not the actual people. The people have to kind of jump out at me. And I can say, oh, that's who I tell the story through. Um, in, in the Picasso book, I very much wanted to write about McCarthyism because I always have a political angle in the books. We are political animals. We're social animals. And that kind of jumped out. Okay, for McCarthyism, I mean, yeah. I mean, Picasso, Pablo Picasso was a communist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all his life he was. Mm -hmm. So you know, I kind of had to get Alana involved in that thread as well. Yeah, yeah, and you did, and that's what I'm saying. It just the that sort of detail and and um thought that you put into it, you know, makes it for a seamless story that you would think, you know, you don't. Sometimes it was like what, of course, we knew what was fiction, but you just make it one fluid, you know, story, which I think for people who love historical fiction, great, but also people who may be apprehensive, but say are an art fan and love Picasso and don't normally read historical fiction, you know, I think it's just a perfect way to sort of intro into the historical fiction genre, your books. Um, you. Okay. Jean, we are going to do your chic list. So I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Um, okay. Let me bring these questions up. We'll see what Jean's reading, watching all the things. Okay, here we go. Jean, the author that inspired or inspires you the most and why? When I was very young, I read everything that Daphne du Maurier and Anya Seaton wrote. They were kind of my role models. Um, the, you know, the, 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 yeah, that glorious traditional historical fiction. You yeah. know, I still go into bookstores hoping there's going to be something by Daphne du Maurier. I haven't read yet, but of course there isn't. So, yeah, yeah I know. Oh, those are great, great inspirations. Um, Your current TV binge series. <laughs> I love crime stories. So I'm watching yes. every crime story the BBC put out over COVID. I binge those. Um, and the old cozy mysteries from Brit Box and Acorn, you know, Perot and Miss Marple and all of those. Yeah. I mean, oh, I love real escape. Going. Yeah. Yes. I love that. Do you, um, did you see, I wonder if this would be of interest to you because I was scrolling, I have Apple TV and I was looking at different shows and they are doing in February, um, the new look, the, the story of Christian Dior and they have Coco Chanel in it. And so they're doing like a whole limited series and it looks great. I know that's going to be fabulous. Yeah. Really great. Yeah. Um. Okay. Last favorite book and current read. Oh, this is going to be so strange, but it's, it's the gospel truth. Uh, it's called Wasteland by Poole. And it's nonfiction about how imagery from World War I shaped our view of horror. <laughs> Interesting, Jean. This took a turn. 
<laughs> I, I also love horror stories. I love ghost stories. And I'm fascinated by how different cultures and subsets of culture define what is true horror and evil. And he he does such a great book to breakdown of how World War I created created our sense of what is evil now. It's a brilliant, brilliant book. This is like oh, a fun but, fact, Jean, for, of yours. Oh, it's, it's fabulous. Yeah. And, and the most recent novel I read is by, uh, it's a debut from an Irish author, Louise Kennedy, called Trespasses. And it's just heartbreaking and brilliant. Oh, I saw that. Okay, okay, good to know, because I've read really good things about that. Now, this is a question for you, since you love, like, crime and your horror would you ever do something historical fiction wise that would that would you know weave in some of those elements well I wrote a book years ago called the sweet by and by and it was actually supposed to be kind of a haunted house ghost story with mm -hmm. a touch of the gothic and um the gothic didn't really come through in it and I don't quite know why because it was based on the life story of three sisters. And I was just so in love with their story mm -hmm. that I kept it true to fact rather than, you know, gothicizing it. So, it, you know, it, there is a bit of a haunted house in it, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not gothic. I would love to write a true gothic. I don't know if I have it in me, though. <gasps> One of my friends always jokes about my books. They're so damn life affirming. <laughs> And they are. And gothic isn't always life affirming. So. Right. That is true. That is true. I feel like you could. I feel like you'd surprise us. And that would be great. Um, okay. Sand or snow? Snow. I love snow. I love it. I love it. You know, if I get sad, I look at a picture of snow on trees and it just cheers me up. Oh, I love that too. That's another fun fact of yours, Jean. Um, coffee or tea order? What was that? Coffee or tea order? Do you drink coffee oh, or tea or none? Both. I have Both. to limit my ca I have to limit my caffeine. So I, I allow myself coffee in the morning uh, in one cup because it's really strong. But then during the afternoon, I'll switch over to green tea. It's good okay. for you. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, favorite bookstagram account. Um, I'm not going to say. Okay. Okay. Um, name an author you'd love to have coffee or a cocktail with. Did they have to be alive? No. Uh, um, Charles Dickens. Mm, that would be a great uh, one. Believe it or not, Benjamin Franklin, he was a party animal. Oh. With a great sense of humor. Oh, yeah. Oh, great. We have, we have this very stern image of him as you know, the founding father, all in black. But when he went to Paris, he used to visit women in their bathtubs. So, yeah, he, oh. he, he had a good time. Who knew, Ben? <laughs> um, who is your style icon? Um, I really, really admire Jeanette Winterson. Mm -hmm. Her writing is so absolutely clear and visual and concise. Um. I mean, there are so many. Uh, again, Daphne Du Moyer wrote well. Um, the Louise Kennedy book I just finished is just stylistically perfect. Um, I like I like someone who can write a really good sentence, and I know that's a writerly thing to say, but it's important. Yes, and it is important. 
What um okay, writing style, but also clothing style. Who's like a clothing icon of yours? Ian McEwen is quite good. Mm-hmm. And uh Ishiguru is quite good. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the important thing about closing, and, and there are so many fabulous writers. I, I couldn't begin to name them all. Renee Rosen is good. I mean, there there are just, it's almost intimidating how many fabulous people there are, there are out there. But yeah. yeah, the closing is important. The closing is very important because it has to kind of loop everything into a, the final narrative without being so tidy that it gets boring. Yeah, I love Renee Rosen. She's great. She's another great, fun, historical fiction author. Um, Okay, book you wish they made a movie out of? Oh, I I can't think of any because the movies are always so different from the books. I know. And and someone explained to me there's such different forms that you really can't can't do that. What would I like to see a movie of? I, I don't know. I love reading so much that I haven't read anything that I want would want to see translated to you're, film. You're good with the book. I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you. Um, okay, last question. Best advice for an aspiring writer or reader? For, for both, um, find something that you love and pursue it. Uh, for the writer, you have to learn discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't wait for inspiration. You set a goal and you sit down and you work towards it every day. And people get intimidated by that. And when I say work towards it every day, I'm talking maybe one or two hours, not all day. I don't know. any You can write all day. You can't do that. But you do have to do it daily. Yeah. I can't imagine writing all day either. But yeah, it's sticking with, you know working it in and sticking with a routine. Um, where can everyone follow you on Instagram? Uh, Jean Mackin author. And I have a website, www.jeanmackin.com. Um, I have a Facebook page, again, Jean Mackin author. Uh, and I have a personal page too, Jean Mackin. And I post some some kind of fun stuff up on that. So, oh, yeah. fun. I'm going fi- to find that page because I follow all the rest. Well, Jean, you've been such a delight. This is so fun. Thank you. I loved your questions. Oh, thank you. And w- everyone should follow you and they can stay tuned for what's to come. I can't wait to hear what's next. You'll have to come back in however many years and we can talk about that book and you can tell me about your research and all the things. But thank you so much for just taking the time to chat with me. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for tuning in.